Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. I've been all over the place, Mike Mark, for two weeks. Hey. I've been to Seattle, and I've been to Malibu, and I've been to L.A. 90 times. We haven't hardly seen each other, but... Because we did all those podcasts in one weekend. Right. <laughs> I must say that uh, coming here to your place, you always have these refreshed club sodas, and they're so Vons. bubbly. They're the best. And so it's just bubbling in your mouth. And they're they're the best. Well, years ago, see, I don't believe in doctors. I don't know if most people realize that. So I think they know by now. <laughs> um. Years ago, when I first got some liver stuff back, when I got sober, the guy told me, well, you need to drink lots of water. So that's the only direction I took. So I started drinking originally Pellegrino water. And now I've settled for the last 15 years on the Vons Refresh water. It's so great. And I drink like 20 of them a day. It's probably why I'm still alive today. Yeah. That's Certainly good. not because of Kaiser's liver department. No. Who denied me treatment because I make too much money. Those bastards. Those bastards. So anyways, no, but I just got back last night from Seattle. I was at the Battlefield Addiction Annual event. It was very heavy. This is an organization that started, Mike, with like 30 families in, a, in the living room of a sober living. And now there was hundreds of families there last night, and it was in a banquet room at a casino of all places. Oh, I did not great. gamble, not $5, because Elvis was with me, and he couldn't <laughs> go in the casino. You're not a big gambler. <laughs> no, like I'm me. not. It's, I, I, I never really appealed. It yeah. did for a while, but I just, I just don't gamble. But, but that is great. It's grown so much. Yeah, in two years. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. But it's also sad. Because they've started a new offshoot. So they're called Battlefield Addiction, like about getting addicts in the streets, getting their parents together and battling it out Just and in the holding trenches, them accountable yeah. in the trenches. Hundreds and hundreds of addicts. But now they're starting this new thing called uh, Beyond the Battle for all the parents whose kids have died. Oh, it's man. fucking brutal work. I mean, that's some serious stuff up there. And I every time I see Angie and Art, I just think, like, yeah, they are soldiers in the war of drug addiction. Or the aftercare and groups and... Yeah, for the families, yeah. for the moms and dads. And it's just an amazing organization. So we're up there, and it was like, you know, Elvis is seven. His attention span of a seven-year-old. But he hung in there. Like crazy, like the combination of letting him play games on his phone, but he liked the event and it was fun. There was, you know, fun stuff going on. But so then they have this silent auction of which I put some things down like for $50 or whatever to buy, you know, yeah. you know, whatever the silent auction things were like a chess board, a chess game and uh, something else. And so at the silent auction, we went around, me and Elvis, and we bid on like four things and we won one of them. Then, during the real auction at the end of the evening, where they're auctioning off the really expensive stuff, 
Elvis grabbed my card and bid it at the $1,300 <laughs> thing for this painting. And I was like, no, no, no. And then I, we're sitting right in the front table because I was speaking at it. And then the auctioneer goes, is that a real bid or is it not a real bid? Is, this, is it a real bid or not a real bid? And then Evan, my partner, Aloe goes, it's a real bid. And I was like, oh, my oh God, my somebody God. better bid for this to $1,400 because I don't have $1,300. Right. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> He was so excited about That's it, but great it was fun. And and what came up up there is father son time. When yeah, going to work with dad. Yeah, That's going to work school. with dad. But also a lot of these parents, you know, their questions are: When do you talk to your kids about drugs? And right. I say, my kids know about drugs. What Elvis is seven; he knows what a drug addict is. And you present it in a way a seven-year-old can understand it, which is some people are really they have great difficulty in dealing with life and they take things and they drink too much and they trying to deal with life Elvis so you the really what you need to learn is how to deal with life and that's as simple as a kid needs to know but yeah they take drugs and they drink he knows what it is yeah and I mean he doesn't know exactly but he generally knows he knows that people have a problem dealing with life i've told mine my 13 year old uh, yeah i don't the other two are like you don't get into the details no. but they know they know you're sober your yeah, kids they know i'm sober they know i used to drink and they know i don't do it anymore so part of part of what's you know what a good part of this opiate epidemic that's just swept across the nation is that parents and families are really stopping believing that if you don't talk about it and you keep your kids in a good school everything's going to turn out all right because that was a lie we told. They told themselves for years. Yeah, and, and their kids are on heroin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems like the more affluent you are, the more the the faster it comes too. Well, yeah. Sometimes. Like, well, I mean, you know, I think. Well, what I'm telling you is, uh, the inner city kids that I've dealt with, they grow up at six and seven years old knowing what a junkie is. Knowing what a crackhead is. Yeah, they have a brother they or a have sister a, or somebody in the neighborhood. They see it in yeah. the neighborhood. And that, and I think the working class of this society are way better at introducing reality to their children than the middle class or the upper class. That's and, true. And it's the truth. So that's what I'm trying to do with my kids. Like, I want them to know. There's, I mean, you know, not I in took, every single situation, but yes. I'll tell you the story. So... I'm proud of Elijah. He's never been to rehab, though he's, you know, a member of the 12 Steps now, but but he's never been to rehab. He's never been a victim in that way, right? Oh, I got to go to rehab. So when he was 12, I think, um, a friend of mine had had a crack up and his girlfriend called me and said, he's, he's in cocaine psychosis. Can you come over here? And I was like, sure. And so I said, come on, Elijah, we're going to go over to so-and-so's house. And we went over there. And I thought, you know, I wanted Elijah to see drug addiction in all its glory. And I thought it would have a good influence on the guy, right? Because he, he loved Elijah, right? So we walk in, and the guy's just out of his mind. He's blasting Black Sabbath through PA speakers in his living room. You know what I mean? He had gotten a PA, Excellent. like bigger than this one, and just had Black Sabbath playing. And we walked in. And Elijah was really scared, and the guy walked over and tried to hug him, and Elijah was like backing against the wall and started crying. Oh and and the attic friend of ours, it's friend of yours too, started going, what's wrong? Don't cry. What's wrong? And I go, dude, he can see what's going on. What's wrong? 
Yeah. Get away from him. You're scaring the fuck out of him. And yeah. that really, like, the drug addict stopped in his tracks and came back to reality. And Elijah never forgot it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, you know. That is amazing. So, it, so the idea is when do you talk to your kids? Because uh, I think parents well, are really the same scared. concept is scared straight, you know, back in the... You can keep see some it. Kids yeah, up. but that's just intimidating people with language. Seeing people on drugs and seeing going to funerals of your cousin right, the who died of drugs, these are the things that that really make drug addiction real at, at a, you know, and sure. I think... You know, Governor Christie, when I was with him, was talking about drug education in, in first grade. So there's big movements in this country to be a little more open-minded about how to deal with drugs and children and, and how to stow, stop this epidemic. And one of the things I think that's good, I think kids should know, yeah, not be preached, just say no. Show them why they should say no. Yeah. That's a drug addict there. I, I, that, you know, when people are walking around, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to kids what's the difference between somebody who's mentally ill and somebody that's on drugs, but often they're both, right? Yes. And um, ever since Elvis was, I don't know, four, there was this mentally ill kind of drinking guy. He was definitely drinking beer and screaming at cars on the corner of Argyle and Franklin, right by our dry cleaners when we lived in Beechwood. And this guy would scream at cars, and, and Elvis was real scared. And I said, no, he's just, he's just a, you know, one of the guys that daddy helps. He'll be all right. And I tried to talk to him one day, and it was obvious he's got other mental health issues also. But he kind of knew. I said, you know, I said something to him, and he could, he could have a conversation, right? And we'd see him sometimes on Gower by the Arco station. He'd be screaming at cars, and sometimes he'd just be begging for change and whatever. You know, typical L.A., crazy homeless addict right about 35 years old 40 35 it looked like well he's the guy that tried to kill the girl from csi remember that the girl on csi yeah he's the guy that tried to kill her and so finally he got the help he needed yes and he doesn't need to be on the street anymore (laughs) but i'm sure he's getting medical mental health treatment and he's away from alcohol and drugs and i'm sure his life is tremendously improved uh from those horrible things that happened with her and and she's a great homeless advocate from what i heard but so you got to introduce your kids to what's going on instead of keep them sheltered and and uh, protected right eventually uh, life's gonna get in there think about if they find out later on in life it would be almost like finding out you were adopted or something you know like (laughs) all of a sudden what the real world is like you were a drug addict dad well this guy i always well yeah that right yeah they got yeah there's a lot of parents that have not wanted their kids to know and i keep saying when are they gonna know because when they, you don't want to have that conversation when they're 16 and smoking weed and tell you, fuck you, you lied to me my whole life. Yeah, exactly. A lot of parents pick the moment when their kids are on drugs themselves, the introductory stage or whatever. And then they That's say, a fucking backfire. It is because then they say, well, you did it. But, you know, at least they know beforehand they're sort of It acclimated. is kind of true. That's what Elijah said to me. Yeah. Like he, you know, he, I was worried about him and tried to talk to him. And he goes, what well, you don't realize is, Dad... So you, Anthony, John, Flea, everybody you know, and you were on drugs, and you guys are all great guys, 
That's what he said to me. That's what he said to me at 15. And you're all great guys. Why are you not allowing me to go through that? Which is really smart. It's a smart, smart move, but it was a backfire trying to. (laughs) Have you learned nothing from being around this? Yeah, that's a tough one. So it's been about parents this week, you know, and I, I feel for these parents. Can you imagine beyond the battle when so, your kid has died? Oh, yeah, that's terrible. This oh. is, there's a, there's, listen, there's almost half a million parents like that now that are beyond yeah. the battle. Yeah. That's craziness. Wow. So... I really love well, the battlefield addiction people, and just it was great, great going up there. What's, uh, what's been happening with you? Oh, just um, nothing. Just doing some music, and um, you know, living in Long Beach. Living in Long Beach, going to the Long Beach Terrace Theater, setting up the PA. Isn't yeah, it good to have a job. It's nice. I like working. Me too. You know, I don't. I, don't. I, I complain about it a lot, but I really do like it. Yeah, having something to do every day. Yeah, I get to I get to do audio for bands that I love. You know, Alex's bars. Yeah, 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 fun man. So I get to do music. The reason why I bring it up is because people think there's some sort of therapeutic solution to being an alcoholic or a drug addict, and and when I look at the people that I know that got off drugs, work was a part of it. You don't just sit around in sober living for nine months looking at your belly button. Getting out and becoming responsible was the whole thing of it, it's, right? M- my sponsor told me that if this, if you're not taking this out into the, because I asked him one time, I said, you didn't go to meetings for five years. What was that about? And he goes, well, I was working. I was out on the road working in my truck, you know, driving. Yeah. I never came home for five years. That's why I didn't go to a meeting. I was working, living life. And he says, if you, if, you can't take this out into the real world and live with it. What good is it? <laughs> well, that's right. And, and, and you can't figure it out backwards. Like personal responsibility is, a, is, is, well, it's a huge part of it of how I got sober. Like taking responsibility for yourself, stopping being a victim, stopping making excuses, stopping, you know, pessimist you know being self-sabotaging and pessimistic stopping those things and doing positive things like becoming responsible getting a job getting an apartment paying your rent you know those sort of things they don't exist in the modern rehab world and when i went to cry help in 95 you couldn't graduate unless you had i think it was at that time 800 in a savings account so you had to get a job Work, be in Cry Help and work and save $800 in order to graduate. That was one of the requirements of graduating because then back then you could get a single apartment for 400 bucks. Right. So you could have money to get first and last month's rent an apartment or something like that. And, And nowadays it's just like, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling today, Michael? How are you feeling today? I'm feeling like strangling you. <laughs> you would have never. You you never went to rehab, right? You would have never. You would not have done well. I don't know that you would have gotten sober if you went to rehab. Oh my god! You would have hated it. Oh, it was all just about getting the job done, man. How Let's are just you get feeling today, with. Michael? <laughs> just get it over. You with seem that. to be deflecting. Are you? Have you been reflective? Have did you do your morning meditation, Michael? 
gosh. They would call you Michael because that's a more genuine name. That's your real <laughs> given name. So you can be more real. It's all so ridiculous. Oh, well. But bottom line is... Help is where you find it. Rehab and if it works. Rehab works for grown adults who are responsible. That's the thing. See, you and I were ahead of the curve. We were children, infants running around with guitars. I was thinking about this today and the and the potency of this fentanyl and the Oh, Oxycontin. we'd be dead. I was talking to Anthony about that. We'd be we'd dead. Be dead yeah. Oh, you for sure. We'd be part of Well, the maybe I'd the be alive, crowd. but you and Anthony be dead. So that with that said, I mean, we must have been just getting bunk. <laughs> no, <laughs> we were getting thirty five percent pure morphine heroin. Yeah. But once they that kind of heroin that traditionally been like when you got bunk, when you got when you thought you got ripped off, that was like twenty percent. Yeah. But the most heroin ran at like thirty-five percent um purity or whatever it's called. But I talked to this police officer that they you know, years ago they were talking about the purity of the heroin that is going up and up and up, and it makes no sense. It that's more and more costly, right? Yeah. So what they were doing was the pieces were smaller, but the potency was higher because the Oxycontin crowd that had been taking 400 milligrams of morphine, every pure morphine every day, when they transitioned to heroin, it wasn't strong enough. They didn't feel it, especially smoking it. You right. know what I mean? Because the first, you're not going to go from a prescription drug addict to shooting heroin. No. The transition was smoking it because they ended up smoking the Oxycontins. Oh, so man. smoking heroin was an easy transition. But they didn't feel it. <laughs> so they would complain or they, you know, they wouldn't want to buy anymore because it was bad because they didn't feel it. So the heroin dealers had to up and up and up <laughs> the potency. Or find the cheap fentanyl. crap to cut it Yeah, with. the yeah. fentanyl. Well, so back in the day, you think like, uh, this is how I used to do it. I used to buy a quantity or from the same guy, so I knew the potency. And if I bought a quantity from somebody, like if I was in San Francisco or something and I ran across something, and I would try a little. And then I would, that way I could gauge how much to do the next time. How how dumb are we as drug addicts? So, so me and Martin. Is that responsible drug? <laughs> yeah. Well, but so in our, my version of that with Frenchie was, I like to be at Frenchie's house when he was doing his deal with John. Either John, his, his main dealer would drive up and he'd go meet him outside in the car, right? Or John would come into the house. So if you're there when the, when Frenchie's buying his big bulk yeah. to then cut up and sell to the masses of Hollywood, yeah. you're going to get the pure dope that John sells Frenchie. Yes. If you wait four hours, you're gonna he's going to mix some other shit in with it and then Good cut idea. it up, he's gonna right? Figure it out. He's going to cut, yeah, wait it out, right? So that original dope, but what's so funny? So I'd be there to get like eighty dollars worth of original dope. I'd go home. I'd do all that. I'd smoke coke, crack, you know, for hours and hours and hours. Then I'd go back to Frenchie's house like 12 hours later and buy the shitty dope from him, forgetting that I that it's, he's cut it now. Yeah. You don't give a fuck. No. Well, you got to have so some heroin. You got to have it. So give me the crap. So are parents ever going to understand that kind of thinking? No. no. <laughs> Never. That's a difficult one to explain to parents or that, people that just don't use. Well... Just never the way I put it is, I, you know, I 
I, so I was a regular user of drugs. I used to have fun, to accentuate fun. It was like, oh, can we can get some coke and go have fun. Or, you know, let's, let's smoke some heroin and do some coke and go see a band. Right? So it was yeah. a part of partying or having fun or it just, it was just a part of that whole thing. And that's how Thelonious was in the beginning, right? Yeah. 86, 87, 88, it was fun. Right? Then it becomes not fun and you don't go anywhere. And then it just because becomes everything to you. So how come, I've always wondered, how come Pete was so private about Because I think he would stop and start. I think Pete could control it. He I did think, for a long I time. I think yeah. he really did. You, you were not controlling it. I tried to. I would, you know, I would go back to drinking and I'm not going to do drugs now that I went to detox. I was like switching it all around all the time. And then everybody knows, right, that Chris Hansen would just never, never any touched drugs. anything, right? And would always go, oh, you guys. You, you know, guys are unbelievable. Stop doing that. I was traveling across Europe with him on a train. I had a bunch of heroin on him. He wouldn't sit with me. <laughs> he wouldn't sit with me. I go, what, what are they going to do to you? What, because he thought you were going to get arrested? <laughs> And then he would go to jail too. And he sat across from me. So how did he? He how sat did he, on the other side of the aisle on a train, acting like he didn't know me. <laughs> That's so great, Chris Hansen. And then he couldn't help it, uh, you know. And I was wasted because uh, I, I don't know where we were, but we were going to Paris, and I know that I had to do all the heroin before we. I don't know. I just felt like I got to do all the drugs before I hit the streets of Paris. Somebody's gonna something bad could happen. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was. It was a wasted, wasted trip, but you know, in the end, people used to survive addiction, as testament to you and all our friends, and now they don't. Oh, who's calling? Hey, who's that? No, who's that? No, it's a school. Oh, it's a school. Even one of those dumb messages. Yeah. L.A. Unified School District's unbelievable with those messages, right? Today, school, the, 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 yeah, the parent teacher yeah, conference next week. No, I don't need to know that shit. Do you think our dads knew that shit? I bet you I got one just now. I, I have my phone on silent. And it goes to voicemail and it gets transferred over. Yeah, the school constantly calls. Yep. I got two so, emails from the school just, uh, just a couple hours ago. One was, what the hell was it? How do you be a parent with all this micromanaging bullshit going on? Um, hello, homeroom parent. Hello, homeroom parent. Hope those of you who made it to the carnival had an, an awesome time. Um, you know, just more stuff like, I don't know. I just don't think, here's the thing. I look at what's different now about our society than when I was a kid. And one thing I can tell you is all this helicoptering and all this micromanaging of children and knowing where they are at all times so they don't even know how to play with other children unless a parent is there supervising and organizing the playing, that did not exist. My dad never went to the school ever, ever, right? Yeah. I walked to school. I told Elvis this over the weekend. He's complaining about something. And I was like, you know that I used to walk to school. I used to, I lived on Gerard Street. Just, I lived on, yeah, Gerard Street in Culver City. I would walk like 10 blocks to the school in the morning. Do you think yeah. any kids are walking down Washington Boulevard at 7.30 in the morning going to school? You no, know, I see kids walking to, 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 to grade A couple school. blocks, but I'm yeah, talking like about from, Sepulveda, the in the from Sepulveda 
to past Overland. That's a long way. It's like two miles. Yeah. And but, it, parents did, don't allow their kids because pedophiles are going to grab them, snatch today, them up. It's a little different. It's a little but different. But there's all this because, fear I mean, and worry. You think about it. The Son of Sam guy, you know, back in the, what was that, the 70s? The yeah. Son of Sam? Well, he was shooting people on Lover's Lane. He wasn't yeah, and killing all kids. kids. But wasn't there one, which was the guy that was getting the boys in the van? The Hillside know. Strangler. That was girls in the van. Either way. But that, no, that it's not It's before. not murder that why parents don't want their kids walking to school. Well, it's don't pedophiles. Wanna. They're worried of pedophiles. And what they yeah. need to know. And trafficking. Which, what they need to know is the pedophiles are your uncles and friends of the family. That's who molests <sighs> your children. <sighs> not fucking crazy strangers in the bushes jumping out and grabbing your kid while they ride their bike in your oh, neighborhood. I don't know. I, That's I, the I truth. Might, I might disagree with you. That's I think a, a lot of it is, is that. Is that totally. Friends and family. Been decades of research about people it. in cars, you know, grabbing kids. I mean, I'm gonna it text, happens. I'm going to text Doctor Drew right now. You're going to get your shit handed to you oh, in a platter. All right, all right. Well, he's, I no, sure, he's well, he's the one that reads all I the. I don't research. care what you say. My he's, girls aren't walking to school oh until they're like God. thirty fucking years old. Okay. <laughs> You're making this personal. I'm, I'm helicoptering them all the way. <laughs> You're defending helicoptering. Yeah, just. Just, just until they get to school. <laughs> oh my god! Otherwise, I don't care. It's so but, crazy. And you know, I mean, really, kidnapping is like a scary thing for parents of girls, and you will find out because your girl will be growing up soon. So, well, we're not going to live in America by that time. Oh, thank God! Me thank neither. God. We were talking about where we would go. I don't know. I want to live in Brazil. Yeah. But maybe I idealize yeah, Brazil. Brazil. Maybe yeah, I idealize no, it too much. Maybe it's, it's a, a drag. Thing. Maybe it's because I don't speak Portuguese. I don't know what the fuck is going on that I think it's just the greatest. Yeah, they're talking about kidnapping <laughs> right in front of you. They're like, <laughs> are they? Yeah, they exactly. just figured they're trying to decide whether somebody would pay for me or not. Yeah, I don't think he knows anybody. Look at this guy's young wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Are most I'm I'm texting Dr. Janelle. Are most perpetrators friends and family in sexual abuse of children? Inside, he'll he'll text it back, right? Are, I just listened to him. I just listened to him today on the doctor on the Howard Stern wrap up abuse. show. Oh, yeah, they have a new show. Yeah. About, they love Howard Stern. Drew loves Howard Stern. Oh yeah. Friends and family and sexual abuse. Situ wait, wait. Are most I gotta sound smart when I'm texting Dr. Drew. Are most perpetrators friends and family in sexual abuse? Perpetrator, si that's a nice situations or strangers. And let's see what he says. So are most perpetrators friends and family in sexual abuse situations or strangers of children? Of children. And I'm telling and you, it's family. Back the ass, the I'm, I'm telling you, it's family. He's been he's been pounding that into my head for 20 years. Okay. So so we're all paranoid that some horrible guy. The, the Amber Alert, for instance. 80 percent of the Amber Alerts are the natural parents kidnapping their own children. Yes, you know, I agree you that, that happens. Yeah. So so somehow, and he's getting mad back, at mom, and he kidnaps. I don't want to get too far afield, but we're trying to. Trying to say, I'm saying, what is different from my childhood to Elvis's childhood? Okay. And I can say, 
I walked to school. I rode my bike over to school. One thing, we played at this... I went to Catholic school, right? Yes. But there was a public school close to my house. We played there all day after school. It was open. There was no fences around it. You just went in and played. Yeah. They don't... They're like prisons now. They don't let children into schools to play. You, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Why I, is that? I don't know. That's, that's crazy. So, so... You can't go to the place where they have the monkey bars and the baseball field and the basketball hoops to play in your neighborhood. It's locked up. Uh, probably lawsuits. <laughs> lawsuits? Yeah. Really? Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Maybe. Your kid goes to the unlocked school, plays on the thing, and breaks so they his arm, sue And they sue and the then school. And jackass sues the school. That might be very true. So anyways, the schools were open. We would go play afterwards. And then... And then we'd go home at, you knew that, you know, during the winter time you had to be home, you know, at, just after dark because it's like 5.30, you got to eat dinner, Yeah. right? If it was summer, you could stay out till like 6.30 and, t- you know, eat by yourself afterwards. That was my rule. So it's like if I didn't want to eat with my sisters and my mom and dad, I could say, oh, I'm going to play, I'm gonna be, I'll be home by six, at 6.30. But 6.30 was the latest you couldn't, but you got to understand. My mom didn't know where I was from like three o'clock when I brought my books home until six thirty. She had no idea of where I was. The reason why I know that is because that's one of the times I chopped my finger off. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I had to scream out because I'm just in the middle of the street with my finger chopped off and all these people coming around. And I had to scream out, my name is Bobby Forrest. My mother's name is Helen Lillian Forrest. We live at, and I kept repeating our address because that's what they told kids. If you're ever in trouble, just say your name, say your mommy's name, say your address. And I think I said my phone number, right? Yeah. And so I just kept screaming it. I was in shock. And apparently somebody called my mom. I was about four blocks or three blocks away from home. And she came running over when I and rode in the ambulance with me to the hospital, okay. to, in the police car. But can you imagine if that happened to some typical, you know, bourgeois Silver Lake parent right now? If their kid was got the, hit by a car and got their finger chopped off? Oh. They would lose their minds. <sighs> My mom was trying to figure out what I did wrong to cause that. Right. right. It was your fault. <laughs> Bobby, what did you do? Did That's you the jump truth out of it. in front of that car, <laughs> It's the truth. So parenting is way different from when I was a kid. My parents didn't know. They didn't talk to us about sex. They didn't talk to us about anything, really. And we seemed to sort it all out amongst ourselves and figure it out. And... And from that comes great personal responsibility, right? From that yeah. early age of like, you're re- okay, I'm going to go over to the school, La Buana, it was called. I'm going to go to La Buana. Okay, get back for dinner. And he just went. Yeah. There are no kids of friends of mine or my own children do that. Yeah. I'm going over to so-and-so. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that brings me to a story of... Uh, it's Halloween. I know. That's, that's another thing. Do kids even... Do, so parents, you go with your kids trick-or-treating, right? This is the story. My daughter, 13-year-old daughter, wanted to go to Halloween Haunt at oh, Knott's Berry Farm. She's not going to like just that. just her group of friends, and that's it. No chaperone. And I'm like, well, man, should I let her go? 
let her go. I dropped her off. Is there older kids that you trust? It was so she went. I took her. I waited till she got with her group of girls. They went in. She texted me every hour. You, you should see the look in your eye right now. You were so it was scared. Amazing. It was an amazing uh, uh, experience for me. <laughs> it was scary. You just wait in the parking lot the she whole time? Was, she was completely scared, and I was probably more scared. <laughs> Something was going to happen, of course. But it was a first. She later said, oh, my God, I just stayed in the restaurant the whole time. I was so scared. I didn't even want to go out. You know, she, she didn't what really. What are friends? They didn't have a great. You know, what they, did her friends do? They all just hung out a little bit in the square. And then they all, we, we picked them up later on at the, at the meeting point. And it was a first. That's so cool. And it was awesome. And it felt like she was, you know, kind of growing up. Yeah. And uh, I didn't feel so helicoptery. There you go. It was great. We all got to do that. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, at what age do you remember trick or treat? See, there were older kids in my neighborhood. So, so when I was going to go somewhere, I would go with the older kids, right? So yeah. that's why I asked, were there older kids in her group? Were they all 13 or were some maybe 15? An older, older sister, an older sister of somebody. There was a 16-year-old yeah. sister there. That, see, I feel better about that. Yeah, and I'm and I try to talk like you, you know, look out for her because she's never been alone before, and yeah. you look out for her, that type of thing. Yeah, it's a first though, but you know, I mean, I feel I feel good about it, you know. So when I was helicoptering with Elijah, he kept fighting when he was like 14, 15, like you're you won't let me do anything and whatever, and he wanted to ride his bike over to meet Bo KK's son. Yeah, KK is the uh, another guitar player in Thelonious Monster. And I go, where are you meeting him? And he goes, at Echo Park Lake, and then we're going to go over to Rite Aid. And I go, what are you doing at Rite Aid? He goes, Dad. And I, I was like, so then I said, I'm going to check with KK if this is true. So I called <laughs> KK. I go, are you letting Bo just ride his bike around Echo Park at night and go to the Rite Aid parking lot? He goes, yeah, why? What? Oh, and I was like, God. oh, I'm just checking. And then, uh, I, then I hung up and I said, okay, you can go. Right. Then I swear to God, I drove. I drove. You followed him. Like I let it be like forty-five <laughs> minutes an hour, and then I drove over to the Rite Aid, and I saw them, and they were on the loading ramp yeah. of the Rite Aid, just like riding, riding their bikes bike. around yeah. in the loading dock. It's being kids, man. It's Echo Park. It's a dangerous neighborhood. Know. You know what I mean. So I'm. I've certainly been a worried helicopter, and we all worry about our kids. But there's something we've been doing these last 20, 30 years that are not creating personal responsibility in our kids. The example being, you knew that if you quit a band, like you notoriously did, yes. right? You had no income. You knew that. You didn't then run to your dad and go, Dad, I quit texting the horse heads. I got no money. Can you let me stay here for six months? Or can you loan me $1,000? Did you? No, I usually found a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, okay, well, that's survival instinct. Yes. But you know what I'm saying? It never would dawn on me to go to my family after I had created some ridiculous stupidity in my life and go, hey, uh, you know, yeah. like kids do these days. And they do it not at 18 or 17 or 19 or 20. They do it at like 26 and 28 and 30. 
Well, you know, yeah. It's, the, like, it's, it's hard not to be the helicoptering parent. I it's think. hard. You know, one of, one of the things I noticed with Elvis is he's a little bigger than everybody else, and he tends to be a Mr. Bossy Pants, oh, yeah. and kids don't like it. And so I'm constantly nervous he's going to, like, punch somebody or do something, you right, know, that's right. gonna, that really doesn't represent him. There are other parents that are worried that that reflects poorly on, on them, I don't. I don't really worry about that. I just don't want him to get earmarked as a bully or a bad kid or a, you know a troubled kid or whatever. So that's my codependency with him. So I try to make sure I, I like yell at him across the playground, like Elvis, be nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Rather than you know him getting in conflicts with kids and and figuring out being nice is a better way of doing it and we're talking about the young kind of transition from 13 14 15 that those teen years like that's a hard when you get to be a codependent parent and you're giving your you know 25 30 year old kid it's it's a place to live and money and but it starts at that it starts not really i think it starts not letting them go to halloween hunt on their own when they're 13 or 14 (laughs) but here's here's an interesting thing so, as as codependent helicoptering and and bullying as I was to Elijah, at fifteen, he told me that he didn't give a fuck what I thought. Right. Right. And I that really hurt me. I I started crying. I really affected me. Right. And then I went to therapy about it and I realized he that was a righteous thing for him to say. I'd been yeah. telling him what to think for fucking years. Yeah. And he, you know, and what I think, and blah, blah, blah. One-way street, parent to kid. And the therapist probably told you you should be proud. Yeah, that he that stood, he stood up, up to you and said, you know, I care what I think, too. Yeah, becoming you know what a I man. Mean? Yeah. Becoming a man. Challenging authority. There was a, But, you know, to me, I felt like, this is the worst. This has destroyed everything I've worked for. And, in fact, it was everything that I'd worked for, which is be open. Like, you got a strong kid here who's got his own ideas about things, and he's going to do his own life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's in a nutshell. Personally, I'm looking forward to the day when they say, we don't need you anymore, Dad. Go away. (laughs) Well, well, I'm also betting that they'll take care of me in my old age, too. Then I can move to the Gulf of Texas and, you know, have a little house and wait for hurricanes and uh, fish and sail. So so Drew said, um, it is the most near at hand. So person who has the most access to children is the one who molests them so this includes scout masters and all kinds of that world then oh and that's a whole new thing that you're talking about the boy scouts letting girls in now i don't get it i don't understand this world (laughs) (laughs) why are they letting girls into the boy scouts every time you pick up your phone boy scouts okay (laughs) every time you pick up your phone you just you just your head just explode yeah every time i look at some news thing i just go what what is wrong with this fucking place, you know? It's crazy. So so there's this girl, I don't know who she is, but... She Can was, anybody a, defend letting girls into the Boy Scouts? It's, you know, it's it's the, it's the <laughs> left-wing madness, you know what I mean? Okay, I, well, maybe, I don't know. It just seems like a foreign idea to me, you know? Well, here's an interesting thing that happened to me today. I was at Big Lots, because that's where I buy all my cheap versions of things. Right? Do people go to big lots? 
Yeah, I love I Big Lots. I go to Big Lots. They have Triscuits, huge family size for two fifty. At Vons, it costs like five dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're there, and I'm taking Sydney. I was just me and Sydney, the little baby, fifteen months old now, I think. Yeah, and we're just going through the toy the toy aisle because she saw some things, and so, and she sees a Mickey Mouse stuffed animal, and she's hugging it, and whatever. Then she looked up and she doesn't talk yet. She was like, da da, da da, da da, pointing at something. It was the grave digger truck. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? The, of the big monster truck series. Yeah. Grave digger thing. And I took it down and she was like spinning the wheels and she was like into it because it yeah. looks cool. Sure. It's not it's green. It's not genders. Yeah, it's green and purple. Yeah. And it's got big black wheels and she was spinning the wheels and she was. You know, fascinated with it for a few minutes, but then she just pushed it off the cart onto the ground. <laughs> but, but a lot of times we have these our own pre prejudices, like little two year old girls or year and a half year old girls shouldn't be playing with monster trucks, right? And that just continues unless you're an enlightened person who says, you know, some kids play with monster trucks doesn't doesn't mean anything. She likes trucks. She likes wheels that spin for some reason, right? Yeah. She doesn't, and she likes stuffed animals that like Mickey Mouse, but she doesn't like dolls. Who, what, what one and a half year olds, why everybody give one and a half year olds dolls? They don't really like them. They don't know that they're, because they look like human beings, like Barbie dolls. They look like humans. I guess. They don't like humans. They like cartoon things. Yeah, they they like the real big giant eyes. What's <laughs> yeah. with that? Giant like, eyes. Why? Yeah, what the? She loves Mickey Mouse, and now she, and she likes wheels. So the monster truck thing. Then I took a picture of it, and of course, you know, a joke. If you're not uh, a progressive, you know, uber lefty fascist, is oh my god, she's a lesbian. <laughs> uh, so how? <laughs> yeah, how are she likes you? trucks. Oh my god. No, it's just ridiculous how that. And so now there's pushing a that. Rather than just have in the brownies or the Girl Scouts, they do the cool stuff that the kids, got, boys do. Why don't you just do that? Why don't you exactly. just start fires and do whatever the fuck that... Why is there have to be, you know, the girls have to be in the Boy Scouts to do the Boy Scout stuff? Because it's obvious there's more badass shit to do in the Boy Scouts. But why don't the Girl Scouts just do some badass shit? I don't know. That's what you're saying, right? Because, yeah. yeah. It seems stupid. Do they but, just sew so or something? Rather than change what they do as organizations, they're just now going to allow girls in the Boy Scouts. Because <laughs> I, I, when I first started hearing about it five years ago, I thought, yeah, they do some badass shit in the Boy Scouts that the, the Girl Scouts don't get to do. They The Girl Scouts should just do that you know what i mean there are i bet you if we looked it up there are things that the boy scouts do that the girl scouts don't do like and these girls like sydney or like your girls want to do badass shit right so they want to light you know, learn how to start a fire or do whatever it is why don't, I wasn't they, just in get, boy why don't they just get strong female girl scout leaders that, that are like you know no, but it's about what they and do and the and badges the that they earn right and that you can't earn certain things what google oh, google what's true. the difference between so we got the return back from drew it's a people it, usually the people nearest to the child are the ones that molest them or have most access to the child okay so Okay, so um, let's see. Differences. Let's just do it. Differences. I love Google in this respect. Differences. Okay, so the Girl Scouts have things like um, 
collecting badges for selling treats, um, cookies and popcorn, um, sewing. You know, who the fuck sews anymore? I don't know. Like, who would... You don't need to learn how it's to sew. It's a sell. craft. It's a craft. Come on. <coughs> have a sewing club. Don't yeah. have it be in the Girl Scouts. Both boys and... Okay. Mark, so both that? Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts mark achievements, but the, the, the things that they're achieving are not the same. So Boy Scouts... Um, there's actually a great deal of overlapping of different badge skills, including camping, car maintenance, first aid, fitness, budgeting, and even robotics. However, the Boy Scouts have badges that focus on broader themes such as communication, writing, speaking, blogging. Are you kidding me? Alternatively, the Girl Scouts offer specific badges for things like screenwriting and novel writing. What the fuck is that? I want the boys to be able to get into Girl Scouts. What about the gay boys? Pro- programming can also vary among local groups. Um, going field of science and technology. Oh, the Boy Scouts have uh, growing fields of science, technology, math, and engineering. That's so that, why. That's why the girls want it in there. Yeah. So basically the Boy Scouts are, are like more uh, organized... No, they just uh, have broader, cooler shit. They have, they have cooler shit. Yeah, and that's okay. what, so they both have robotics budgeting. So let's go through what they both have. They both have camping skills, uh, car maintenance skills. Why would little boys and girls need car maintenance skills? Yeah, you know. Okay, so first aid, fitness, budgeting. I didn't get that class. <laughs> no, <me> <laughs> Even robotics. Okay, so... So all the boring shit they both have. Nobody wants to go to budgeting class. Nobody wants to go to car maintenance class. Maybe some do. Camping is cool. First aid is kind of probably boring as shit. Fitness is great, but budgeting is stupid. Like why? Both of them have badges for learning how to budget. Is that just telling you you're going to be poor? Little child, little boy, little girl, you're going to be poor. You're the rest of your life. You better learn how to cut coupons. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. Why are children learning that? But robotics is in both. But the things that the Girl Scouts don't have, you ready? Yeah. They don't have science, technology, math, and engineering. That's stupid. That's right? why girls should have the... Girls are smarter at that shit than they boys. They should just upgrade the Girl Scout program. But they didn't, and now it's been legally the forced and blah, blah, blah. Stupid. I mean, come on. Just keep them separate. Boy Scouts need to bond with boys, and, and girls need to bond with girls, and they need to upgrade the Girl Scout program. Yeah, they should have had the STEM More program. Funding. STEM is also the focus for the Girl Scouts, though Chief Customer Officer Lisa Margosian noted that older badges, badges like knot tying and cooking have incorporated elements of STEM. What? Uh, oh, Really? That's the same as technology, science, and math, learning how to tie a knot and cook. Oh, God. I'm Jesus. so glad none of my kids have neither been in either one of these organizations. God. And neither was I. How about that? So let's, let's, uh, let's just change gears off of this thing. And I got to bring something thing? by. Yeah. yeah I'm going right. to run this by you. 
Uh, and this is, uh, let's just talk about this for a second. There's a couple of guys in Wisconsin. Oh, I know. They're doing Patrick Don't Die. and Ryan. They're doing and Don't they're doing Die. Don't Die, Wisconsin. I know. We got to get this all across the nation. doesn't cost anything. Just do it. Do whatever. Use our ideas. We just want kids to not die. That's right. And, and, and I, you know, whatever your theories are, I believe we're raising children wrong. And that's what makes them so scared of the world and scared of their own shadow and scared of having their own apartment and scared of failing and scared of life itself and anxious and socially phobic. It's because of the way we raise children in this country. So that's been my passion the last two or three years is I think we're raising children wrong. Now these guys over in Wisconsin are more like there's dead bodies all over Wisconsin. We got to do something about the addicts that are dying. Exactly. And and it's the opioid crisis all across America. So we're trying to start don't die in every state. Okay. If you have somebody in Nebraska, somebody in, you know, Ohio, well, I think it can be solved by communities. Die. I think it can be solved by communities. Here's what I don't think. I don't think the death rate is going to go down because there's more access to treatment. I don't. No. Right? I don't think the federal government is going to do anything about it but give Big Pharma more money. So, so and say it's they're only going to be us, one addict helping another addict to turn their life around that's going to impact this problem at all the problem is the addicts that i deal with i'm unable they're unable to relate to me and i'm unable to relate to them so it needs to be younger people um uh, closer closer in value systems to these people because because uh you know and it has to happen in the community that it's happening in in ohio in wisconsin in pennsylvania in new hampshire in vermont you guys need to do it because it, there's no send them to Florida, send them to L.A., and they'll get fixed. That's not going to work. And waiting for the federal government, Calvary, to come in and let everyone go to treatment is not going to work. It's never no. going to come. The Calvary is never going to come. Right. So it's going to be us. Just people working together. This this uh, this Kevin, Patrick, and Ryan starting this thing in uh, Don't Die in Wisconsin. Yeah. And just get people just excited get about more. that. Just don't die. And just encourage people... You know, be careful. Don't don't be silly. Come on now. The yeah, life talk is, to your peers. Life is worth living. That's oh. a new. That's the newest thing. Is I always thought life was worth living. Didn't you, Mike? Yeah. Well, you know, I liked getting high, so I didn't yeah. want to die because. Uh, well, there's know. a lot of stuff you like. Girls, you like music. You sure. like you like adventure. Sure. Even when you were smoking crack, you were an adventurous little guy, mm -hmm. right? Yes. You like adventure. Yeah. The addicts these days, they're not really wired like that. They're not like an adventure. Remember when you just quit Thelonious Monster in the middle of nowhere and just walked off? That was Boston. That was the farthest point adventure. you could get from Los Angeles on tour. <laughs> <laughs> I quit Thelonious What happened Monster. on that adventure? I don't know. <laughs> I ended up in New York living in uh, Ann Dagnello's uh apartment? No, in the store. Oh, in the store in the in the in the in club? The, Oh, have you ever seen a picture? Save of that? the robot? No, no uh, what was it called? Uh, home it living. Home living. Yeah. You lived in home living. I stayed at home living for a while. Thelonious Monster got, played there, didn't we? It got freezing cold. Like, no heat. Yeah, and I was all strung out. And I was like, oh man, I gotta get out of here. I had no clothes. <laughs> I had no clothes. I had 
But that was an adventure. Yeah. Uh, you know, now you got a good story. Yeah. And you have for about a, two months. But think about what that did. So in the middle of like a band that's doing pretty good and on the rise, you just, you're the main songwriter of it and you just quit. Right? Just quit and walk away. And you end up living in an abandoned building basically on the Lower East Side, Lower strung East out side. on heroin with no heat. Right? One pair of clothes. But what did that do? You have a forever bond with Anne. You lived in New York City in the Lower East Side in the coolest era of the Lower East Side in the history of mankind. Right? Yes. Basquiat was living down the street. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. And fun shit was going on and, and great art was being created. And that's... So, so the way that the addicts of today look at that is they wouldn't do that because bad things would happen you would be cold and you would be no, no no friends so they never take chances like that ever yeah right and then they never have deep rich lives that that are fun to talk about and fun to have lived and 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 meaningful yeah. to have learned from they don't learn anything except for in a rehab center right and they're not learning sad. in real life yeah, that's it. And so, so that's what I'm trying to inspire, you, you know, the 20-something crowd. Like, go to Costa Rica. I did that one time. Somebody was talking about Costa Rica, and I, you know, was so sick of going to detox, and I had, not, you know, a little bit of money. So I just got high, bought a ticket to Costa Rica, and flew there, knowing that as soon as I get there the next day, I'm going to be dope sick. And yeah. I just got drunk every day and lived through dope sick and... You know, I went to a couple pharmacies and got codeine, but that doesn't really help. Nah. And I just drank, and then I was fine. And then I had like a week that I was sober or, or just drinking and clear of the heroin addiction. And I, it was just beautiful. Right. I'll, I'll always have that. And I always like say, just go somewhere. What do you, you know, sitting around here, what did that gotten you for fucking five years? There are kids that came out here for treatment in 2012, and they're still in treatment. Jesus. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, we want don't die everywhere. Or, you know, just use that, that label. That's the whole goal. I'm not tied to any religion. I don't believe in anything anymore. I believe in one addict helping another alcoholic to, to recover. That's what I believe. And I don't, I don't, if Suboxone helps, if rehab helps, or doesn't, not going to rehab helps, or becoming, getting a job helps, I throw the all the ideas out that happened to me, right? Yeah. And that and and I want don't die to be this message that Have like good just experiences. don't die and live life like but I'll tell you something. So, and how do you don't die? I mean, really, like, I guess the message is how do you don't die? You, you have to want to live. You have to not do this this fentanyl and the and the really high-potency stuff. I but mean, I think, I think you, you have to want to live. You have to want to live. You have to find meaning in life. And I don't think, I think millions of Americans have no meaning in life. And yeah. it's sad. And it's fucked up. And we need a revolution of thought. And we need a revolution of, 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 you know, I told you earlier, I haven't been on Facebook for three weeks. Nothing has changed. My life is great. I'm not as irritated and frustrated by assholes. Yeah. You'd be amazed at how. And all I did was delete it off my phone. Yeah, right. I, know, I, I mean, I that. still have an account. Yeah, I've done but that. But I, I just don't go on it, and I don't have to read people's that way opinions you don't get of notifications, Trump and, you don't get all and their opinions of me and, and the opinions, opinions, opinions. i just been much happier. 
you you'll you you help people though you know you uh you you'll be back because you do help people even though there is this sort of you know angst in uh some people's uh responses and everything like that well you say anything that if you say anything contrary to the fascist liberal agenda you'll get crucified by our friends and if you say anything you know that the emperor wears no clothes you get crucified by people that liked me because of celebrity we have so constantly if i said you know Anybody notice that Trump doesn't know what he's doing? You just get crucified. What the fuck do you know? Why don't you stick to being a drug counselor? Blah, 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 blah. Right, right, right. And then if I say, you know, I wouldn't have voted for Hillary Clinton if my life depended on it, I get crucified by that side. Right, having an opinion either way. About any, about, about simple shit. Like, you know, I got children. I'm kind of a little concerned about North Korea. I don't give a fuck. Is this guy mentally ill or not? Yeah, because he's talking to the North Korean leadership like he's mentally ill, like he doesn't understand that a million people will die in one fucking day. But we've also we've also always known that the president is a figurehead, and that the government is run by a, a, a whole collaboration of you know. Uh, but of I got people. I got reassured that actually. The, the generals that are around him, if he said push the button, they wouldn't do it. No, they wouldn't. And they'd immediately find him um, unfit for to serve. Yeah, and he knows that. So. Does he really know that? I think he does. I, I think... If he said push the button to bomb North Korea, and the, Mattis and the rest of them said, uh, sir, we're relieving you of duty. You think he yeah. expects that? I think... I that's think the plan. Got- Apparently that's the down low, dark, <clears throat> state deep state cl- uh, plan is if he really goes off the rails they're just going to relieve him of his duty that's right I, I mean i don't i don't see that reassured me yeah but i heard that from that's a real right. washington insider yeah is that reassuring well, you let's, i i don't i'm not i'm not concerned about him to tell you the truth the, obama in north korea that's the only thing i care about the rest of the shit he can't do we have, taxes we not have, taxes we have so many troops there. We have so many troops in, in North and South Korea. In South Korea, we have military bases and so many military people there. You you couldn't, you can't, you cannot <laughs> launch a nuclear weapon <laughs> at North Korea and not destroy South Korea. Also, oh, I know. So uh, it's not going to happen. Well, so. it certainly seemed like it was possible of happening. No, the way he was twittering, he well. So you never worried for your kids over I, that I, shit? I don't. No, I don't. Tell okay, you, well, that makes truth, me feel good. To tell that makes you the me, truth. Maybe I, I was just paranoid. I, I don't believe, know. I believe it's just all a smokescreen so that other things can get, so his agenda can be pushed underneath while everybody's concerned about his mouth and his Twitter. They are going about business, changing well, rich things. people are going to get tax cuts. When have rich people not gotten tax cuts? I know, but they're changing other things too. They're changing a lot of things. Regulatory things. things. Regulatory. You know, with things. the EPA and the, hey, I'm know. not against all that. So, so I'm, now I'm going to get crucified by all the liberals. I regulation is what has made working at Walmart a full time job for 50 year olds. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you. So I think I, the thing that concerns me the most. What concerns you the most? Is that the Bushes don't like him 
The Bush is the end fact. <laughs> the biggest, the, biggest fascists of our lifetime exactly, don't like him. Exactly. This. I mean, how great is what, W? That is weird. How How about the fact that I threatened to kill and was arrested for solicitation to kill one of the Bushes? Oh yeah. And now I love them yeah. compared to what is in power now. So that's it's amazing. Just, yeah, it's just a circus. Man. That's it's a media evolution. circus, and they and they know it. They know what they're doing. They're you know everybody's concerned and talking. So our, about let's that. recap our show. We love that you to start your own don't die organization in your neighborhood, and how we'll show you how to do it. Start a podcast for you and your friends to have discussions and talk about how to how to reduce the death rate, how to get people to realize that life's worth living and life's worth being sober for. Because if you believe life's worth living, see, that's a default setting that you and I have always had. I always thought life was worth living. Right. Drugs got in the way of me living life. So yeah. all I had to do, I knew for like the three years when I really tried, for like six years, I didn't really care whether I did or not. It wasn't that bad. The last three years of my using, I really knew I got to get rid of drugs so that I can get back to living life. Exactly. There is a generation now, Mike, that I don't know if you're paying attention to them. They don't really have that great of lives and they don't really believe in life. So their drug problem is not much different than, than not having a drug problem because they don't really have an optimistic, um, like rad vision of life. Yeah. And that's what we have to inspire young people. This life is rad. You yeah. know, Louis C.K. has the greatest joke. I'll leave it with this. He says, he's on an airplane, right? And there's this woman sitting next to him. Can you believe these seats are so fucking dead? They make these seats so small. And she's saying, waitress, can you, when are they going to get down here to get us some food? And he's sitting there and finally he just unloads. He goes, will you shut up? <laughs> You're sitting in a chair. That's flying in the air going 500 miles an hour. You're in a chair eat, waiting for food to be served to you while we fly from New York to L.A. in five hours. Will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> it's just the most amazing bit. And when I heard him do it, I realized I've been the lady complaining oh my God. and I've been the irate Louie. Will you shut up? Life yeah. is amazing. You, you run the whole gamut. You you're all of that. Man, I'll, I'll totally them. agree with you there. I'll <laughs> agree with you there. <laughs> so life is amazing. Let's try to convince young people of that. Don't die. Till next time. See you later. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.